After 25 years of beating the streets and beating the odds, I'm bringing you interviews with the most interesting people I've met along the way. Broadcasting from downtown Happy Valley in State College, PA, welcome to the Ride with Ben podcast with me, your host, Ben Lawrence. We all know Joe Pa, as in Joe Paterno, but how many of us have heard of Penn State's other legendary coach, Joe Ba, as in Joe Batista? Coach Joe led Penn State's hockey program to six national championships. Joe also went on to negotiate the largest donation that Penn State has ever received. He went on to lead the Buffalo Sabres NHL hockey team while under the tutelage of the billionaire who bought the program. And he is now starting a business that is aligned to be a champion coach for the rest of us. This interview with Joe was a real honor for me. I really enjoyed hearing about his business and his advice for any of us listening to this podcast. So enjoy this interview with Joe Batista. So help me understand this, Joe. You spend 26 years at Penn State building a career there, building a life, and to some extent, building hero status in our community as one of its leaders. And then one day, a billionaire approaches you and asks you to come and work with him. How prepared were you for that kind of transition? Well, that's a great question, Ben, because I think all of us have those like moments when, what do you do? Do you go or don't you? Is it time to jump? Right. Right. And uh, I think it, what had happened was a dream had come true here, right? Uh, something I'd been working on since 1978 literally as a freshman here, the dream of making Penn State a Division I hockey program, getting an arena built that could support that. And so now it's like, we always talk about it's a cliche, right? The journey's better than the destination. Well, I, I reached the destination in a sense. And, and the next step for me, if I would have stayed here, would have been as an administrator, associate athletic director, you know, I'm not particularly fond of the NCAA anyway. Uh, and then to sit there and administer their rules, which I think are archaic. Yes. Um, it didn't appeal to me. So when the opportunity arose, it was uh, Terry's exact words where our dream came true here. Come with me to Buffalo and let's create another dream. It sounds like the modern day equivalent of Pretty Woman. <laughs> Right, well, thank but, you. I mean, here, you. But in a sense, you had this stable career. You could have, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you could have just hit cruise control and ridden it out at a big institution, and you chose to go work with a self-made billionaire who probably has a very different style. So tell me a little bit. I mean, after 26 years of working in a bureaucracy, Big what bureaucracy. Was, okay, yeah. What was the culture shock of then moving over to Terry Pagula? Well, there weren't very many committees, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, decisions yeah. got made quickly, and not always for the best, right? Mm -hmm. That's one right. thing I learned. There, there, there is that kind of happy medium where I think sometimes, uh, you know, taking the time to be more intentional and deliberate 
about developing the right options and then making a good informed choice there's there's you know some definitely some benefit to that um, what, what I found was that in that world uh, especially in professional sports things happen at a much faster speed and uh, many of the decisions are made impulsively emotionally because that's what that you know whole area is you know you, you, everything is about passion and energy and excitement and you got to win today and you got to win now and right. um, but sometimes as you know when you do that you make decisions for the short run that don't always uh, help you in the long run in your title, so this is when you went to work with the Buffalo Sabres, mm -hmm. right? The NHL hockey team. And right. what was your title there? I was vice president of hockey and business administration. I had the fun job of being the go-between for the hockey department and the business side of the okay. Sabres. It was a brand new position. Um, and it, it was, you know, I think in, in retrospect going back, it would have been better if we would have clarified the role a little better. Mm. Um, and and I, I felt part ombudsman, part uh, facilitator, uh, part uh, PR guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I did things as varied as, you know, representing the organization uh, with our affiliate teams in Rochester and in Elmira uh, to uh, giving talks to the Sabre employees. Uh, and then we, we one day, I was the messenger who had to go deliver the, the word to our head coach that we had just traded our all-star goalie and our team captain and uh, realized, wow, we just traded our goalie who was supposed to start a game that was starting in less than an hour, and I had to go find a goalie, <laughs> literally. And, and this just Look, happened. This is an NHL game. Oh, yes. It's yes. Go, you're, they're going on the ice in an hour, and you have to go find a goalie. Yes, because our AHL team is in, you know, on, on the road. Um, we make this trade. The trade could not happen until after close of business in St. Louis. That's We, we traded uh, the guys to the, the St. Louis Blues. So <laughs> because of salary cap issues that they had, we couldn't even announce this till after five. So we didn't want until it, you know, the ink's dry. Now you got the you know guys wondering what's going to go on. So I go down, deliver the the message to Coach Nolan. Um, he's got a you know now Jonas Enroth has to you know get ready to play the game. He was going to be the backup, and I have to go and find somebody. <laughs> and we're going on the ice literally for warmups in like twenty five minutes. You're looking for a backup to the backup. Yes, and uh, so uh, we we ended up. Uh, going down and finding one of our IT guys. We, we did a quick study, said, hey, anybody know who, you know, uh, has played goalie sometime in their life? Ryan Benz, our IT guy. I get on, he's sitting in his cubicle. I walk up, I lean over, I look at him, I said, hey, Benz, I understand you played a little goal in your day. Uh, he was a backup goalie up at Clarkson University. And uh, he says, yeah, why? I said, well, do you happen to have your equipment with you? He says, sure. What, uh, are we going to skate after the Sabres yeah. game? I said, no, we need you to be the backup for tonight. He, he turned white as a sheet of uh, paper. I mean, it was, he, he, and I said, Vince, like, this has to happen now. We sign him to a one-day amateur tryout. The equipment guys go in, make a nameplate form, stick it on a jersey. He, we didn't even get him there in time for warm-ups. He literally came out and just sat on the bench. <laughs> and uh, now he did not have to go in and play. 
Yeah. But we won the game, and afterwards, he just sat there, and Coach Nolan looked at him and said, what are you doing? Just get out there and celebrate with the guys. <laughs> and so he got out and you know went on. Now, just recently, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks went through the exact same thing, except their guy, their, their backup goalie got hurt in the game, and the guy they pulled out had to actually go in and play. And, you know, you just think about that for a second. And we're talking about a professional sports league here, right? And all I keep thinking is, really? This is the best system we've got? Yes. You know, and so I think I think it's going to probably at some point lead to a rule change of some sort to have uh, emergency goaltenders available, that sort of thing. But it was... Uh, uh, it, it, Ryan Vins became literally became a cult hero in Buffalo, uh, selling jerseys, T-shirts. You know, <laughs> and it was something he'll never forget. I'm sure nobody will, you know, in the town will ever forget that that happened. So that was just one thing that that you know fell on my plate. Lots of meetings. Uh, we were forming Pagula Sports and Entertainment at that time, mm -hmm. uh, which was a new concept. It was Kim Pagula's idea. Uh, she took it really and hatched it and has, you know, just watched it grow. And So you're looking at the speed of business, right? So in a sense, here you are moving from Penn State, which may not be the fastest moving organization for better or worse, and you're moving over to this billionaire's NHL hockey program where you need to find a goalie in less than an hour to get onto the ice and be part of that squad and perhaps play a critical role. Right. So, I get back to my original question, but what part of your professional life up to that point prepared you for that kind of spontaneity? Coaching. Um, certainly my years as a coach um, where you're having to make decisions quickly. You don't have time to sit and, you know, you, if, if you hesitate, you miss opportunities. Uh, at the same time, if you make uh, a decision that's too impulsive, it, it can it can lead to you know some problems uh, either in the short run or the long run. But that that was really I think uh, managing facilities uh, was another you know where you're constantly you know you, you show up at the arena one day and the compressor's not working. Right. We can complain about it all you want. You got to go figure out. You got to find a solution. And and that's I'll tell you that's something that I see today where. Um, the people that I think are the most successful are ones that don't sit and whine and complain about something. They say, okay, there's the situation. What do we do? Let's figure out the best options and then let's act. Because if you, you know, you can have the greatest plan in the world, if you yeah. don't, don't act on it. So I think coaching really helped me because you're having to make those decisions. I, I, I hate to be critical of other coaches, but I love watching and, and evaluating and learning from other coaches and one of the things that you see in sports is a team has obviously uh, got some issues going on and they won't adjust and you know they wait till halftime in right. basketball and football right. they wait between periods and hockey right soccer they wait till halftime to, to make an adjustment and I'm sitting there going wait a minute you, you're, you're realizing right now that things aren't working try something a little different yeah tweak it you know maybe you got to take a different approach right and you know th those are the kinds of lessons and one of the lessons I learned really was about how you can not everybody you can't push the same buttons to get 
everybody to do the same thing. It'd be easy, wouldn't it, to lead if you could just say the same thing and everybody just, that's not if how If you it could works. program people like a computer and it, it responded it, the same, it right. never does. But that, I wanted to ask you about that, Joe, because you have such a storied career in coaching and in working with athletes. You've worked with collegiate club level athletes, you've worked with varsity, and you've worked with professional. What has been your experience in the differences between coaching and leading those three categories? Right. Uh, I always looked at coaching, um, whether it was youth in the juniors, you know, hockey camps, that sort of thing. First and foremost, you're a teacher, you're an instructor. Um, I always had an eye on life skills. I wasn't just developing a hockey player. Mm. We were trying to teach them conflict resolution, how to get along with other people, when to be assertive, when to bite your tongue, you know, those are, which right. are skills that are used every day in the real world. Sure. And uh, I think with the with the varsity players and, and then also with the professional players, you're looking at people that are they're pros at what they do. They're, you know, uh, obviously when, when the guys that are coming to play Division One hockey, most of them have that dream that they're gonna go on to play at least minor league hockey. Right. So th there's certain things you just, you, you don't have to constantly remind them of, right? They, they, they just get it, they understand it. Um, and then at the same time, what I found was, you know what? They're really no different. The guys, even at the pro level, they're, they're people. They have lives, right? They're, something that's happening to them outside of the their job is impacting their attitude, their demeanor on the ice, whether it's practice or a game. And, and I think getting to uh, infuse more of an emotional intelligence um, type of philosophy into organizations, is, to me, that's, those are the ones that are succeeding. You know, the ones that, that, that can figure out how do I play to people's strengths. Right. Right. Don't try to make a plow horse into a thoroughbred. <laughs> okay. And, and vice versa. Don't take your thoroughbred and expect them to be a plow horse all the time. There's certain days we all have to roll our sleeves up and pitch in. I get that. But I think, uh, you know, at the higher level, it's, it's, it's really, it's all about fine tuning. You know, how do we take this individual and get the most out of them given their skill set right whereas with the younger guys you're still developing you're you're, you're you know they they still have this canvas in front of them where you know let's let's see if we can help them figure out are they going to be a painter you know? right <laughs> are they going to be a sculptor you know those yeah. sorts of things um but there has to be a difference and maybe i'm i'm just thinking about from the business world even the high roller, the person who has almost never failed, the person who's getting, who's earning over a million dollars a year, relative to the young, fresh-faced college rookie. Naive. Naive, <laughs> sure. But how do we, and let's just move beyond the sports world. I mean, it could be any profession, but how do you navigate that when you have a prima donna who's always won on one side and is making millions and somebody on the same team or at just one level down who's just getting started, how do you manage such different people and get the best out of them both? Well, I'll tell you, to me, you're talking about the difference between people who, I see people that you can win, but there's a difference between people in teams that win and win championships. 
the highest performers. The best player is the one that can get the ones that aren't as talented to play at their best level. That they understand that, you know, if, if a Sidney Crosby and a Mario Lemieux and a Bobby Orr, you know, guys, you know, at that level, yeah. you know, the Dominic Hoshiks, the, the great players, they made everybody around them better. They didn't use their, in, in, in an egotistical way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they, they had high, very high standards. That, that was certainly it. There, there was an expectation. Where, you know, if we're going to win, you got to do your job. I got everybody's got to ratchet it up a notch, yeah. right? Well, when you're around people like that, the competitors, the people, the, the high performers, in my opinion, are going to respond positively to that. Mm. The people that are not sure of themselves, kind of lack some courage and confidence, you know, they're, they're going to self-identify at some point. And you have two options. You either cut them loose right. or you get them the kind of training and you start coaching them and mentoring them yeah. to bring them up to speed with the rest of them because you know the elite athlete, not unlike the elite performer in business, have that focus, that single-minded focus that you know I, I'm not going to let all these distractions get in my mm -hmm. way. I'm going to figure out a way to do my craft and do it well and that means I got to get player A, B and C to have that same kind of focus as me. So I don't think of it as a selfish thing. I think they just, they understand that in order for us to reach our goal, I need you to do your job. I need you to be focused and look at Bill Belichick and what they've done with the New England Patriots, right? I mean, their mantra is do your job, right? Don't whine, don't complain. To do your job. So what I'm hearing is a true superstar at any level. In, in sports, business, doesn't make any difference. But the true superstar is the person that not only has the raw talent, talent and the ability to develop their own skills, but the person who's able to elevate the others on the team around them. Absolutely. That's the unicorn. Absolutely. You, you know what? I'll, I'll go you one further. You know, uh, Jim Collins and Good to Great, I'm uh -huh. sure you've read it. Uh, you know, you talk about level five leaders. Right. Okay. R Servant I, leaders. I, 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 that's a big part of life from my standpoint. It's not about you. It's not about your accolades and that sort of thing. That will happen. To me, it's like that takes care of itself if you take care of all the people that you're working with and 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 they know that you care right that you care not just about meeting the the quota for the quarter but that you you really do genuinely want to see them develop because as they develop your company develops everybody wins right and what's the matter with that i, I i've looked at leaders i've looked at coaches for years i study this uh, you know there are a lot of people who it's all about them. And then when they leave, the organization essentially falls apart, right? Well, why would you want that to happen? I, I don't understand. Uh, to me, that's that's the uh, antithesis of servant leadership. I, your, your job is to, you know, create an environment, create an organization that is going to exist, you know, for centuries, right? Because you, you helped build something that is uh, much more bulletproof, right? And, and has sustainability. And I, I think 
tactically you can go after some short-term things you, we always have to do that you might be the greatest guy in the world but there does come a time when you got to hold somebody accountable for something you gotta you gotta just roll your sleeves up and say all right we got to have this tough love conversation right now right there's people that don't like to do that man you know that there's people that don't like to be on the other side of the table from that either yeah okay and so to me a, a servant leader it, it, that, that's such an important part of this. It took me time to learn that. I can tell you, when I was a young coach, I was so full of myself. I thought the, you know, it was it was all about my coaching. You know, that, that's you know, and then you start to realize, you know what? We started winning more championships when I realized the best thing for me to do was to get the heck out of the way, and let my guys do their thing. And you brought, is it six national championships to yeah, Penn State's won, hockey program? Yeah, we won six ACHA national club championships and, and won at 1.5 out of six years and played in 10 straight national championship games. And and I, t I try to tell people, it doesn't matter the level. I mean, there's always going to be the naysayers. Ah, yeah, it was just club hockey. I'm like, okay, well, it was very competitive. We had seven guys off of the teams that won the four championships in a row that went on to play minor league hockey for for quite some time actually some yeah. did very well uh, they all had their degrees all of them are very successful in business and in life right now which is the more important thing to me but you know i i look at that and say how how was it that we did that well, we had the icer family that was our mission you know it was we're going to develop you know good people that are going to be productive citizens we put school first you know i mean I'm, well Oh, sorry, family first, mm. school second, and then hockey was third. And social life wouldn't even. List you are it. Italian. Family has to go first. Yeah. Well, it, it's and and in my case, and I'm not afraid <laughs> to say this. You know, it's it's also my faith. You know, it's sure. family and God come first. And and you know the we ju I just learned this lesson as we were talking before earlier before we 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 began recording that. You know, my son asked me to take him to the NIT championship that Penn State just recently played, and I gave a million excuses why oh, I can't do it. I got meetings, I got this webinar I got to do, uh, and you, know, you just see the disappointment in him. And I actually got mad at him and said, "Enough!" You know, I got to stay focused. And then a friend sent me a text and said, "Hey, are you going to go to the game?" I said, "Ah, my son wants to go, but I really can't." He says, "Joe, go with your son. Take a deep breath." These are moments, these are priceless moments. You've, I rearranged my schedule. I canceled a couple things. I just asked some people, would, would you understand? My son wants me to take him to Madison Square Garden, greatest arena in the world. And it was one of those father and son moments that will last forever. You know, that came from a friend, from a mentor, Sam Bernstein. You know, we just happened to be texting one another. And you know, again, you just, I go back to Servant leadership is important. What's your purpose? Yeah. And, you know, Simon Sinek says, start with the your why. why. Mm -hmm. To me, it's, you know, I always laugh at people. Wow, look at this great new idea that Simon Sinek came out. You know, it's, it's like in coaching, you know, people talk used to talk about the neutral zone trap in hockey and, you know, the West Coast offense in football and right. stuff like that. You go back and look. It, they were doing this stuff 40 years ago. We just wrapped it up, put it in a different package, called it something different. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, to me, it, it, it's what's your purpose? I think that's the single biggest mistake that most people and organizations make is that they don't take the time 
to intentionally and deliberately focus in on what is our purpose. Are, are we here to serve people? Are we here to build the greatest company in the history of the world? Right. You know, what what is it that we're trying to do? And I think when you get back to that, it allows you when you're having to make these really tough decisions, does it align with my purpose? Yeah. Will I have the right attitude? Am I going to be willing to make the sacrifices? Does it align with my servant leadership philosophy? Am I inspired and will I find people who will inspire and motivate me to see this thing through? Am I going to develop options and make informed choices? And last but not least, does it allow me, is it something I can continue to grow at, nurture? Is, is it going to be? So I I just gave you pragmatic passion, by the way. That's, that's, that's what <laughs> I... We're going to talk about yeah, that. I mean, it's, yes. the, it's, it's, that's, that's the acronym right there, but it all starts with purpose. You, you know, I, I just, I see, we have 42 million people that owe 1.3 trillion dollars in student loan debt. To me, that's a failure on a massive scale. Yes. You know, we've got kids that, that have mortgage payments that don't have uh, houses to show for it. And they lack the life skills that you were talking about earlier, despite the debt. Amen. Oh, and, and you know, so that that's, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Sure. But there's... I wanted to ask you something about your hockey teams. You coached these teams to their national championships at the time that they were a club sport. Later on, you helped to negotiate the largest donation ever given to Penn State in an effort to build a varsity program. But looking back at those teams that you coached while they were club, if you could go back and change, would you had made them varsity programs or are you grateful that they were club what's the difference I, I no I wouldn't change a thing why is that why would you want to keep them as a club program I, I, through I, those years through those you know we thought we wanted to be varsity sure. I mean everybody thought that was the yep. goal but in the process of getting there amazing things happened you know and and I, I talked about that Icer family and, and, and this is not uh, any type of a, you know, criticism of what happens at the Division One and at the sure, professional right. level. But, you know, it's, it's, it's much more of a, a business, let's face it. Than the, even at the college Division One yeah. level, it's, it's still... It's a job. It's a job. Yep. Um, I really believed that we were there, you know, uh, uh, doing things because we were passionate. You know, we loved each other. Um, the guys worked hard because they weren't paying. They weren't playing for a scholarship. They weren't playing for a paycheck. They were playing for a pure joy of the sport. Yep. And it was a healthy distraction from school. And in many respects, it helped keep them disciplined and focused. I know as as a I played at Penn State on the club team. I did better in season academically <laughs> than I did when I had more free time on my hands. Right, right. That discipline that came with it. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think uh, two teams that I played on when I first got here at Penn State, there was a rink, and we were supposed to get a new rink built. Three days after I arrived on campus, they took the one that existed. Mm -hmm and they uh, made, transitioned it into an indoor AstroTurf field and a track for varsity track and football across, no et cetera. No more ice. No more ice. Yeah. So for two years, we had to 
They built us a temporary outdoor rink where the current Lash building sits right now, we're at practice facility for Penn State. And if the weather wasn't cooperating, we'd play street hockey in the IM building. <laughs> We would go to Johnstown. On rollerblades? No, 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 not back then. Not in the 70s. We didn't have those. We just played street hockey. Just run around and hit a puck. Or incredible. Know, and then and then we uh, we traveled what to Mechanicsburg uh, to, to play our home games, uh, which is two hours away. That group, you put people in that situation. There's two ways they're going to go. They're going to give up. and thing, The thing could have just disappeared. We came together. That was such a close-knit bunch because of the adversity. Yes. We did it for each other. And we ended up winning our league championship for the first time ever, back-to-back years. And uh, you know, th- those are still some of my best friends in life. And uh, our, our 1998 National Club Championship team is having its 20th anniversary reunion in Cancun in April, <laughs> in a few weeks. Yeah. Um, and about three quarters of the players are going to make it, which th- that tells me we did something right. You know, it's funny, and I don't know if our listeners are going to be able to hear this with their ears, but in going through this interview with you, Joe, of all the things we've talked about so far, nothing has lit you up like talking about your club team mm-hmm. and there's a lot to be said I mean me personally uh, I played a sport in college it was not hockey it was a different one we were cl- we had club status and we blamed title nine we bitched about not having a better program and why can't we be varsity but looking back it was a blessing be- just as you described we had to earn everything everything, everything. we had to raise our own money yep. schedule the gym time Everything, and I am closer to that group than I, than we would have been had we been varsity. I don't have any doubt about it. And and I think the other part of that is the ownership, as you said. It was, yes. Nobody took anything for granted. Yeah. Right. You know, they, uh, the guys gave me a trophy as a senior because I was president of the club. It's it's a horse's ass, <laughs> literally, <laughs> and and it says to Joba from your hockey friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is to this day my favorite trophy because. <laughs> it was funny, but the the message they were saying, you know what? We appreciated the fact that you were the one always saying, you got to pay your dues. You got to yes. show up to this yeah. fundraiser. Or you, the you know, mother hen. Yep. Uh, and you know what? The skills that we learned, because we were running the business of right. the club team. Right. And the Hockey Management Association, which kind of grew out of all that uh, until recently, um, we put more kids, I used to say this all that, we put more kids in professional sports out of our hockey management association <laughs> than we did players because they were getting hands-on experience. On how to, to run, run the yeah. business. Because people forget, our yeah. club program, we used to we used to put 1,300 people, we packed the place, we had our own TV show, our games were on radio. That didn't all just yeah. happen. We right. we had to build that, and, and I think because there was that pride that we took in doing that and overcoming the odds. It was kind of that we'll show you mentality, which is what I'm sure yeah. you had, you know, in, in your school, right? And it's So talking about that and reflecting on that, we I'm sure we have a lot of parents who are listening, who have kids that are high school age or middle school age and the kids dream and I'll, I'll admit sometimes the parents dream is for that child to go on and play collegiate sports. 
what advice would you have for them on how to navigate that path? Uh, it, it goes back to what I said about options. You've got to develop options and you have to make informed choices. You know, we tell everybody that you got to play Division One. you got to get a scholarship. Okay, the reality is very few people, all you got to do is go on the NCAA website and, and do a search for what it what it takes for a high school athlete to end up at a Division One program and then Division One on a scholarship. The odds are, are so hard. Um, and just because you make it there doesn't mean you're going to have a great experience. Yeah. To me, it still comes back to you've got to find the fit for you. You don't want to settle, but you also don't want to shoot. You know, I, people tell me, yeah, but look, how about that movie Rudy? And I'll say, yeah, there's a reason they made Rudy a movie. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It was a feel good. I get that. Are, are, are you willing to roll the dice and that's going to be your plan? That's going to be your life plan is that you're going to try to do something like that? I, you know, we all we all like to believe we love the underdog. We like the person that rises from the fall. And I and I get that. And you, you should be able to do that. Uh, the reality to me is it gets back. That's why I called my philosophy is pragmatic passion. I'm one of the most passionate people, I think you can tell, you'll ever meet. Yes. But passion alone is not enough. I, and I don't care if it's sports or business, whatever it is. You still have to have a system, a mechanism, a plan. Uh, you, you have to learn the skills. You have to know the, you have to have the knowledge. You've got to make the sacrifices. That hard work part of school, sports, business is the piece that I think lacks every now and then. People just think, well, you know, we got this great idea. Okay, that's one piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole thing. And that's why just because you have a passion for playing basketball or field hockey or running track, whatever, it, that's great. It does not mean that you're going to be at an elite level, especially if you're not willing to put in the time and the energy and make the sacrifices and get the coaching and those sort of things. Well, on the flip side of that, there's people that, as you said before, I'll, I'll say this, too many parents live vicariously through their children. They set the kids up for failure and they're gonna end up being disappointed because they'll spend so much money, so much time. We've gotten to the point where we're focusing a kid. Travel leagues oh, and year-round programs. And, and, and people would people. I see the pained look on your face even as I Describe those. So. I'm very, I'm very passionate about this subject ah. because I, I just see it goes back to that whole thing about you know you got all these p kids that owe college uh, you know student loans. It's because they'll, they'll go someplace. Well, I'm going to go walk on at that school and I'm going to spend fifty thousand dollars a year when I could have gone to a local school, maybe played on a Division three team or on a club team. It would have been more affordable. It would have been a better experience. Um, you know, and, and I'll even go on and tell you that I've seen when I recruited kids, a kid wanted to be an engineer, decided to go play at a school that didn't even offer engineering just so they could play sports for four years. Right. Well, it turned out to be five years, actually. And, and then what? Right. Then you turn around and you look back and go, uh, I probably should have gone to that other school. Yeah. I, I don't want people to go through that, Ben. To me, this goes back to 
you know, why are we not asking kids when they're 16 and 17 and 18 years old these harder, deeper questions about what, what are you interested in? What matters to you? What are your values? Heck, most kids don't even, if you asked most 16, 17 year old kids, they wouldn't have an answer for you, would they? I can't even get my daughter to tell me where she wants to go for ice cream. Uh, it's 16, right? So well, it's and part of that's on that us. Out. That's on us, right? Yeah. We've done everything. We wanted the, our kids to have it better than we, that, that's a parental, you know, I get yeah. that. You really wanna, you know, do your kids a favor? Teach them self-dependence, right? Teach them to be interdependent on other people in their peer group. Teach them to work with other people and not expect things for nothing. You know, there's just this uh, entitlement mentality that exists that is frustrating. I think, I, I just talking to business owners, especially small business owners, people that own restaurants and, and flower shops and this that, trying to get hardworking people to come in is is more difficult now than ever. Yeah, we struggle here. It's everywhere. I, and, and I think that gets back to what we're doing something wrong in our schools. We're doing something wrong as parents. And people sugarcoat this and want to avoid it like the plague, right? Because they don't want you to be judgmental. To me, if we're going to make a difference, we, we got to start. To me, it starts at really in middle school is where I think you can really start. That's where I think we either make kids or lose them yeah it is right. a sixth seventh eighth grade that kind of period and, and so much of that depends on do they have the right people in their lives you know you you look at the 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 school shootings that are going on you know one the 100 percent of the school shootings these kids had no father in their lives i don't know I if you knew not, that i did not 100 percent i'm not surprised but okay that's they, they were missing that male figure in their life and you know didn't have somebody that was a role model and look that our society the way we are now things are different I get that uh, however that doesn't mean if, I, if I'm a single parent I'm gonna make it an intentional and deliberate effort to get my kid in with the right group of kids yeah. and to get them a mentor find them a coach uh, because really you think back to most of our lives Go back and who made a difference? You know, for me, it was my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Kalaji. All right. I'm still friends with him to this day. He took a wild, crazy kid <laughs> and, and realized that, you know, I probably had ADHD, still do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but he figured out a way to reach me and make a difference in my life. And, and, and you know, it was a coach. You know, Coach Ford, Coach Carini. You remember? I, I, that's those are the things I remember. That's why, you know, even in my own, when I try to decide what I'm going to be when I grow up, mm -hmm. you start to realize, I I'm a coach. I love helping other people. I love to see people grow. And while I'm not interested in going back on the ice to be a hockey coach, I my passion right now is to try to help other people to become their best. And that's perfect segue. We have just a few minutes left, Joe. <laughs> sure. but in the time we have left, tell us a little bit about Pragmatic Passion. What is this business that you've started and how do we get involved with it? Well, what I what I wanted to do, again, this I was inspired to do this because all three of my kids, 
sitting with their guidance counselor in high school heard the same thing. You can be anything you want to be. Just follow your passions and dreams. Do what you love and the money will I'm follow. I'm cringing as you say that. Uh, and, okay. and, and, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, sorry. I, I, you know what? Don't fill them up with these positive <laughs> fantasies. Yes. Okay. It, it, it's Yes, you can be anything you want to be. Provided you have the skills, the knowledge, you know, those competencies that you're willing to put in the hard work, right. that you will continue to, to learn. And then you have a, if you become a master of your craft, then you can be anything you want to be. Hey, I want to be an astronaut. You know, we landed a man on the moon when I was nine right. years old. I wanted to be Neil Armstrong. I wanted to be Buzz Aldrin. Right. And then I realized in high school, you needed to pass astrophysics. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so uh, pivot, you know, and, yes. and I, I think it, a big part of this is just, you know, uh, that, that we are doing an injustice by, by having this kind of cookie cutter mentality with every kid. And I'll go, I'll go you one further. Why at 18, we, we said, what 16 and 17 year old knows, you know, anything about what they want to do. To, right. Then why at 18 do we send them off to college? Did they suddenly have an epiphany? Right. Like it all just came to them? I, I think... I had no idea. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, well, Ben, 50% of kids that start college never finish. That, I don't think most people know that statistic. No. Okay, and because people were embarrassed to talk about it. They, parents won't talk about the kid that, you know, is over here. Well, yeah. he, yeah, he, he's, just, he's just a welder. Oh, yeah? Last time I looked, welders made a lot of money electricians, yep. plumbers. We have a shortage of these skilled trades in our country. Yet so we pragmatic passion is designed to help people zone in on where their passion overlaps with real possibility? Absolutely, it's, it's okay. dreaming big while keeping it real. And how do you work with people on that? Is it one-on-one? -on -one? Do you do group programs? Both, okay. it, it's, uh, you know, I'm starting off my book is gonna come out here soon. And uh, we've started, I'm working uh, up at Slippery Rock University on a pilot program up there. Um, that's gonna expand to Grove City, hopefully Allegheny College, and maybe even here at Penn State um, in the future. So we're working with college kids, you know, on trying to help them learn these essential soft skills. I, I hate calling them soft skills because those are the things that they're lacking. You know, we, we yeah. know from talking to CEOs. The soft skills are the hard stuff. Right. Yeah. So, we, we know, so we're doing that. We're working. We've got a pilot Good. program that we're doing in Huntington uh, in their school district to go in and start to talk to these kids and say to them, look, you've got to start thinking about these things. No one's saying you have to have the answer when you're 16 or 17. But your probability of being successful, whether you go to college, a vocational school, join the military, whatever it might be, are going to be enhanced greatly if you've given this intentional thought. And we that's what I want to do. So I will do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I will come in and work with teams, with schools, um, speak at assemblies, give speeches. And I'm not just talking about working with high school kids or college kids, but this, is it any different than the person that's going through the midlife crisis and they don't know where to turn? Right. To me, I, I would still take that person, look, okay, forget what you know you, you did with the path you took up to this point. You can't change that at this point. Let's start from here and now let's go forward. What, what are the steps that we have to make to get you? But it's gotta start with 
what is it that you think you want? Right. What? How do you define success? We, you know, when you want to go someplace, right? You have a destination. You got a roadmap. You try to get there. People say, ah, you know, they, they use the old Mike Tyson line, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? <laughs> well, that's not what Mike Tyson was saying, that, that, that you shouldn't have a plan. What he was saying is, you better be ready to adjust the plan Yes. when you do, when something, you, you hit a barrier or hurdle, right. that sort and of thing. And so, it's not all rainbows and sunshine it, on the way to it. Not at all. And you know what? I think part of this is teaching kids the attitude that, you know what? That's a spice of life. You're going to get knocked down. Right. Get back up. Yeah. You know, the things aren't always going to go exactly how you plan. That That's okay. That's what makes this journey adventurous and fun. And I, I think we, we, we're just too embarrassed sometimes to admit we need help. Yeah. That we need a coach. Yeah. That we need to go talk to a professional. I'll leave you with one last thing. When you get sick, what do you do? You go to the doctor. Okay, the doctor does an assessment. They ask you questions. They run some tests and they come up with some kind of a diagnosis and then give you medicine or send you some to physical therapy, whatever it might be. Nobody has a problem doing that, right? Then why don't we take the visit to the purpose doctor, as I would call it? <laughs> why do we not go to the person who sits down and says, okay, well, let's ask you questions about what it is you think you want to do. Let's give you some assessment tests to identify your personality, your behavior, your abilities. Let's sit there, you know, because that's not sufficient. Passion alone is not sufficient. You had to merge all these things. Right. And you're looking at the intersection of all these things. So to me, it's a blending of science and intuition. You bring them together. You've got this coach who is sitting there helping you to figure it out. You got to do the work, but helps you to kind of organize it. That's what I see pragmatic passion being able to do. It's trying to help people discover what is it that matters to you. Then you have a purpose. Yeah. And you got to tell you something, when you have a purpose, you know this. When you have a purpose, things happen. I was up till four o'clock in the morning the other day and didn't even realize it. I was so into what I was doing because there's a purpose. And you know, you just get in that flow state, and you don't. That, that's that's what I, that's my hope for everybody is they can find that euphoric feeling of knowing that what you're doing is aligning with your purpose, your values, the things that really matter to you. Joe, it, just hearing you say that, it reminds me that the number one crisis we face is lack of purpose. When we have it, everything else falls into place. Sure does. Health, well-being, self-confidence, wanting to get out of bed in the morning. You are. My goal is for you to put the antidepressant pharmaceutical industry out of business. Oh boy, it's coming. <laughs> well, and 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 you're right because there is no magic potion. In my book, I talk about you know Harry Potter's not going to show up and wave his magic wand. Right. Okay. It, there is no secret formula. You know, that's not, and, 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 and these people, I, you know, I get frustrated at some of the people that are out there as motivational speakers, you know, that, that just say, you know, it's all about positive mentality. No, it's part of it. That's a piece of you. Yes, you have to have a positive attitude, but there are so many more ingredients that go into making the, the, the better cake. And, and that's, that's what people, they've got to understand um, and, you know, sooner or later, boy, you better 
understand the uh, the need for sacrifice. Nothing. How do we reach you? So if people are interested in pragmatic passion and getting some help and guidance from Coach Joe, how do they find you? Joe at pragmaticpassion.com. Go to my website. You can reach me through there. Um, I, I got, and I'm not. I will tell you, I am not motivated by money. I am not one of those kind of people. Hey, if 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 this thing becomes successful, that'll take care of itself. Yeah. I want to help people. That's that's the, the you know I want to be genuine and authentic about it, and that's that's where I see the difference for me is you know I, I want to help people make better choices because yeah. they've developed good options and are going to sit down and and, and work with a professional to help make better decisions. I'm talking about the big thing. It's not, hey, where are we gonna eat lunch today? Ooh, I better go call Coach <laughs> Joe. You know, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, well, and I can speak on behalf of my company and me, Joe. You know we've hired you in the past to come in and do some speaking engagements and coaching for us here. We have gotten so much mileage out of that. The feedback we've gotten from our employees and our customers that we've sent to your programs has been out of this world, and it's one of the reasons we brought you in today. Well, Ben, I, I appreciate those kind comments. I got to tell you, I've stayed friends with some of the folks that I met here. Ro Roger Whaley and I are yeah. always going back and forth. We've become friends, and that, to me, that's the joy of this. Yeah. This reminds me of when I coached a team and we'd win a championship. Right. And, and that's that's the joy I feel in knowing, you know, the satisfaction of knowing that I, I helped somebody. But you know what? It also helps you. Right. I'm a better person knowing Roger. I you know, it's yeah. it's been great. Um, and thank you. And I hope I can work with you guys a lot more in the future. We're going to do it again for right. sure. Joe, thank you for being here today. It's really been a pleasure. Best wishes on your new business. Thank you, Ben. Whether you are a millennial, a parent, a business leader, a university administrator, I hope that you got as much out of this interview with Joe Batista as I did. Thank you, Joe, for sharing your time and energy. You are one of the greats. As one of my mentors often tells me, you're either growing or you're dying. So thank you for listening to this podcast, which we hope has been a growth experience for you. We will catch you at the next episode of Ride With Ben.